0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. We are ready to begin. My name is Terry Shellington. I'm honored to be uh, your moderator this afternoon, and... uh, A few odds and ends, first of all, uh, $11 on the table for your privilege of being here, uh, uh, and shut off your cell phones, and that sort of thing. Uh, I also am reminded uh, uh, to remind you that uh, it's fall and we welcome members, and uh, you can talk to to Annalise in the corner here, who... uh, We'll gladly help you work out a membership, and we really value people who are members of our organization uh, because that's part of our support and uh, part of the community that uh, that oversees what we do here. So please consider being a member if you're not. Um, anyway, we, we welcome uh, Trevor Harrison this morning. I was noticing in his bio he was born and raised in Edmonton, but we've never held that against him around here. Um, Professor of sociology at the university in the area of political studies, uh, a, the director of the Parkland Institute, and you will know if you come here before. He's a longtime friend of this council and has spoken before and and um, uh, uh, been very very helpful part of our stimulation. And uh, today uh, he's looking at some of the um, ambiguities and contradictions of our politics, and I'll let him take us into that subject. But we really welcome Trevor Harrison this morning
1: yes, well, good day and it, it certainly is really nice to be uh, back here today i as terry said i 've uh, spoken on a number of occasions, actually going back quite a few years. I think it must be getting on fifteen, maybe twenty years or so, so always a real uh, pleasure to come here, and uh, as is always the case i I enjoy uh, presenting, but uh, at least equally, I uh, really enjoy the uh, to and fro of the conversation afterwards. So, what I'm going to do today is, uh, as the uh, as Terry suggests, as the title uh, suggests, talk about uh, what I would view as the root causes of controversial legislation and why it is that actually a lot of policies in the last few years have uh, run into some difficulty. And I'll. I'll talk about some very specific policies, but uh, but I want to focus more generally about the, the whole uh, policy process. Uh, in some ways, this talk actually uh, is, is uh, stimulated or arises out of a column that I wrote uh, back uh, in late June that was published in the Lethbridge Herald. Uh, the uh, article was actually titled For Harper Government, Bad Policy is Good Politics, and it uh, aroused uh, some some. Interesting debate. Uh, debate. At least uh, one individual, uh, I remember particularly, was quite aroused by it in, in a negative sense. Uh, I dare dare say, he might uh, even say, he wanted to eviscerate my uh, my comments. Um, but many others were actually quite uh, supportive. But in any case, it engendered the kind of debate that I think is really necessary around around policies. Uh, And doesn't happen enough, Uh, so we tend to get focused on individual policies, but we don't think of the whole idea and process of how policies come about and how, in some sense, I think it's fundamental to how democracy works, Uh, that in fact everybody should really be involved in a uh, very concrete way in determining the kind of policies that will arise. So, Writing that, that article actually then got me uh, thinking even more about the issue of uh, good versus controversial or just plain bad policy uh, a little bit more. And so, again, what I want to do today is elaborate on uh, some of those uh, those um, uh, some ideas. Uh, how do I move this here? Oop, nope, that's definitely not it. Do we have a... thought it would be that one. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you. Uh so you know I've I've actually taught policy for a few years and and even the courses that aren't directly on policy I inevitably end up talking about that. Um there are some kind of conventional theories about policymaking that go back 50, 60, 70 years and more. Um Most academics tend to overvalue what they uh, view as kind of rationality uh, and the idea of uh, evidence uh, as being the basis of policy. So there's kind of an ideal uh, construction that if we just arrive at the best kinds of uh, evidence for something that policymakers, politicians, will actually just simply uh, take those ideas and run with them. And so at the end of the day... uh, you know, evidence-based policy as opposed to, some people say, policy-based evidence. Um, and this is this goes back to uh, a lot of thinking in the social sciences. Uh, you know, Max Weber and others talked about kind of uh, functional rationality. You want to get from point A to point B what's the best way to do it. And so you collect the information and uh, you proceed from there. Some others, after a time, came to realize, well, policymaking is a lot more complicated than that. And so there was one theorist by the name of Simon who talked about satisficing, and that, what he meant by that was, well, optimally you could come up with a, this kind of perfect policy, but the fact is you have an awful lot of different competing interests, uh, that if you pursue one kind of policy, it may have unintended consequences in another, and so you satisfy, you come up with something that kind of works. Um... All governments at one time or another, it seems to me, have made um, bad policy decisions. And, and, you know, you can just let your own minds kind of ramble to think of some of those that that came out really, really badly. Uh, Sometimes that's a result of just lack of information. We live in an information society, and so you want as much information as possible. But even then, sometimes people are forced to have to make decisions in the absence of information, Uh, because something is pressing and you have to do something now, uh, but you don't have it all, so on the basis of what you have, you proceed, and then you find out you didn't have enough. Sometimes you make simply poor assumptions. We all tend to do this when politicians uh, act on the basis of poor assumptions. Of course, the consequences can be particularly dire. And finally, you have just plain political interference, Uh, that may intrude as well. So uh, the bureaucrats, the experts, even the politicians may come up with something, and then the point at which it gets from this perfect ideal model that you've constructed to when it comes out the other end, something happens and it gets diverted. Sometimes, of course, there are kind of unforeseen things that happen uh, that... Something was, in fact, a pretty good policy to start with, uh, but something happens along the way that suddenly rapidly turns it into an unworkable policy. One point I'm going to come back to at various points here, however, is that when we rely on the notion that everything is rational, uh, there are different forms of rationality. Uh, And so the way that experts quite often think about, and academics as experts, Uh, in their fields tend to think about it is that uh, here is the best policy to address a particular problem. But There's another way of thinking about rationality and that is that how does that allow me to maintain power? And that is a very different kind of thing. It's still rational, but it's not aimed towards particularly the best policy, it's aimed towards a particular kind of politics. So, what defines good public policy? And I think some of these things are actually, uh, in some sense, really quite uncontroversial in terms of what would make for pretty good public policy. Fair and equitable. Most people want to see that it actually is fair to all the various populations that are going to be uh, uh, affected by it. Cost-effective. Uh, you still, at the end of the day, uh, want to make sure that you can actually afford this. Uh, and if you try to do too much in one area, perhaps you're going to suffer in another. Uh, broad-based. Uh, here's where there's an old saying in, uh, in legal circles that uh, single cases make for bad case law. Uh, so you have some horrible, horrible event, uh, some crime, a singular crime, and then on the basis of that, you change your entire crime policy. Uh, that is, in as I said, in legal circles, considered to be actually really a no-no. Because you don't change what should be a broad-based policy that you hope is going to last for a period of time based on a single case. Another good aspect of uh, uh, good public policy, it seems to me, is it should anticipate as much as possible the unintended consequences. Things do happen out there. We can't sometimes anticipate everything, but we should try as much as possible to head off what could be the worst consequences of adopting a particular policy. Evidence-based. As I said before, academics certainly subscribe to this uh, notion. And so, yes, you may not be able to know absolutely everything, but you should be able to, uh, whatever policy comes you come up with, base it on some kind of factual data, some information. It should at the same time be self-critical. You should be aware of the fact that uh, you may not know absolutely everything, and when you've made a mistake in some aspect of policy, you should be able to step back from that. This requires some degree of evaluation. Uh, I was involved in policy uh, making some years ago, Uh, with the Alberta government, and one of the aspects of that was we were always kind of building in uh, evaluative processes. So you would put something in place, but you at the same time would build in an evaluative component, so at a given point in time you could go back and say, did it actually work this way? And finally, and this comes into a number of policies we've seen in the last few years, uh, but even going back many decades... Policies in order to be effective, that is good, actually have to in some sense be viewed as broadly legitimate by a large par- portion of your population. This, for example, is a problem uh, over many years in terms of drug policy. Uh, going back to the 1920s 30s and the 30s, also you policies around the prohibition of, the of, the consumption, of alcohol, consumption of alcohol, where we did, did not have widespread support. support. Therefore therefore what happens, happens when, happens when the, policy the policy doesn't have rights where it support, support, is it becomes
0: illegitimate or the institutions of government
1: become delegitimated and people start to turn away and say, well, I, I just don't trust this government. You know, they are not representing me. Uh, and that becomes a real problem for implementing policies as well. When I began actually doing some work to think about this uh, particular uh, presentation, lo and behold, I come across a a fairly recent book uh, that was published uh, dealing with the uh, United Kingdom, which as of next week may be somewhat less united. Um, And this particular book actually examined the failed policies of both labor and conservative governments. There hasn't been a liberal government there for some decades. Uh, But looking at the problems of kind of policy implementation there, and some of the things that they talk about in the book actually resonate with things that you can see have gone on in Canada over the last number of years. Causes of bad policy. uh, Ignorance, uh, a cultural disconnect uh, with the people, as they put it. That is, the people who are in charge actually really don't understand the the population that they're imposing uh, or presenting a certain policy to. Uh, Lack of proper and widespread consultation by ministers, advisors, and civil servants. Again, we can think of a number of examples where things have uh, been simply brought down uh, by fiat without actually consulting with uh, a number of people. A lack of parliamentary oversight. Here, the concentration of the executive power. Uh, I read in the last few days uh, that uh, Brent Rathgeber, a now independent sitting member of the federal parliament, has a book coming out, having left the uh, governing Conservative Party, in which he says, no surprise here, people have said this for a lot of years, that in fact too much power is now housed in the PMO, but again, this goes back decades. Think back to Pierre Trudeau talking about the uh, House of Commons and the members there as being a bunch of nobodies when they got a few uh, feet away from the parliament. Well, in fact, if anything, there are even more nobodies now than they uh, were 40 years ago. Uh, and, and so what we have is increasing concentration of power. And if you think about many of the policies that have to be enacted, you need a lot of input. Nobody can know everything. Uh, There's a reason we decided that the king was not going to be sovereign many, many hundreds of years ago, uh, and that is it's a complex world and you want as many voices as possible. But that is not the case in Canada. It's not the case in the United Kingdom, presumably. It's not the case in many uh, so-called democracies around the world. Decisiveness. Decisiveness come back to this a little bit uh, in a while here, but one could also use the term hubris. Um, We tend to weigh things in favor of people who are really decisive, even when they're decisively wrong, for some reason we like them. Uh, And this is a real failure in terms of our political culture. Being decisive just may mean that you really are not a very broad or nuanced thinker, but that tends to actually get rewarded in our political system. And apparently, again, is very much the case in Britain. Think, for example, you know, this uh, prime minister is not for turning, you know, Margaret Thatcher. And think of every, pretty much every prime minister since uh, being decisive. Ignoring critics viewed as enemies. I don't need to elaborate on that here. Uh, But we see this kind of thing going on in Alberta, in Canada, the United States, other places as well. And finally, a lack of ministerial penalties when policies go wrong. I mean, it used to be at least if you really messed up as a minister, at least you'd get demoted. Uh, People don't even get demoted now. Uh, They just... uh, And quite often, if anything happens, they just get shunted to a, a different bureau. And occasionally, well, less than occasionally, you might hear somebody sort of say they were sorry for messing up, but it's not in our political dynamic for politicians to actually come out and say that. Uh, And so, without accountability at the ministerial level, you're going to just have continued bad policies. But might bad public policies also be intentionally pursued? That is policies that are pursued not for the purpose of addressing a particular problem, but really intentionally addressed for uh, political ends. And that's partly what I'm going to explore here. Number of policies, as I said, I could go on uh, at length about these crime bills. Nearly all of them actually are uh, viewed by people who actually study in the field as extremely problematic uh, in terms of three strikes and you're out and uh, drug policies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, They've all run into real controversy, but they've also all been implemented. Uh, In uh, the last little while, as a result of some of the crime bills, the provincial governments have started to complain that they can't afford it. Uh, Again, I said before about being cost effective. The provinces are very concerned that they're going to be stuck with a massive bill. There's also problems in terms of uh, rehabilitating people. Um, And of note here, many of the bills that have been passed in terms of crime... The uh, the United States even, including many Republican administrators uh, and officials, politicians, have in the last while started to say the tough-on-crime policies that were implemented over the last 30 years just are unworkable in the United States, uh, and it's a bad direction to go. The prostitution bill... Um, as the uh, current minister has talked about, this is an aspirational thing, uh, that the aspiration is that uh, over time prostitution will be gotten rid of, and so uh, in, in variance to a lot of people actually testified about uh, the, the way to actually manage prostitution, uh, the bill seems to have veered off in a uh, direction that was actually not very predictable at least a year ago. A host of environmental legislation that has basically gone through without, uh, again, uh, debate and discussion with a lot of the people who are uh, affected. Again, whether or not these are scientists, whether or not these are community activists, uh, aboriginal communities, politicians, etc., has simply uh, raised huge controversy as it's come in. The long-form census debacle, a uh, particular policy that was brought in uh, surreptitiously overnight and uh, immediately uh, was condemned by such a wide swath of, uh, of Canadian society from academics to church leaders to social groups to provincial governments to municipal governments and on and on and on. It would take me an entire uh, other lecture to go through all the list of people who thought it was just a terrible thing to do, but it went ahead right, and still remains controversial. Refugee health care, uh, which uh, policies regards to that, the Supreme Court has stepped in and said this is just not workable again. Many of these policies, by the way you'll note, have run into problems with uh, existing uh, the Constitution and existing laws. Uh, election reforms which again became a point of huge controversy is uh, a number of people said well these are problematic it's going to disenfranchise a large number of people um, and the problems that elections had experienced in the past are not the problems being addressed here in fact you're now creating other additional problems while not dealing with the, the problems that, uh, that had been identified earlier. And finally, tax policy, which, uh, as some people have said, is now such a mishmash of different things that there is kind of no uniform tax policy any longer. It's just kind of uh, a free-for-all that kind of goodies are given out to various groups. When we think of taxes, we think of something that is actually kind of more or less uniform for the population, but in fact, it's really disintegrated over the last few years. Those are only a few of them, and again, we could go on at length, but I don't want to talk about particularly specific policies, afterwards we can certainly do that in the, uh, in the give and take. But why get on to the, the broad aspects of this? So, um, recent policies, why have these uh, been so uh, controversial? Why have so many of these uh, policies uh, raised hackles in, in uh, various groups, media and others? Uh, is it just politics? People are complaining because they just don't like the policies? Or is there something just bad uh, about the policies? Or is, in fact, something bad about the uh, the policy-making process? That the process has gone astray, and so there's an awful lot of people feel really discounted in it. The argument I want to make here is that the Harper government particularly is not a consensus party. Uh, and I'll get back to that in a moment here, but... Really, what it seeks is actually polarization um, and in in fun some sense, this actually goes back to the uh, Thatcherites in the u k where uh, Thatcher really hated the middle of the rotors, the wets uh, and so one of the change in terms of conservative parties uh, in Britain and in Canada uh, is that uh, people who are kind of moderate of moderate Tory persuasion have kind of been uh, driven out and and so what you want is people who are focused on um, a decisive uh, policy that caters to a particular group. This is actually quite different from the way we've quite often thought of policy in the past. Quite often we've always thought of, whether liberal, conservative, any other kind of party, federally or even provincially, where people have always tried to build big tents, big tents of people who uh, we want to bring more and more people in. This is actually a focus instead on a small group of people hardening your vote around your particular supporters. So in that sense, bad policy becomes actually kind of good if narrow politics because you're really gearing it towards a certain segment of society of the electorate and not trying to get a a wide swath. A wide swath of voters is going to simply end up, if you appeal to them, to... uh, making the policy a lot less firm, more mushy. And from this perspective, you don't want that. Now, let me say here that all parties over the years have always tailored to some extent their policies towards their particular group, their particular tribe. Still surprised there. Um, Liberals also know who their supporters are. The NDP does. Green Party supporters certainly do, I suspect, as well. Um, But this is actually done with much more dedication and a vengeance than than any party has done it in the past. Because most of the time, you still want some of that other middle ground of voters. This is a very different kind of direction for politics. What's contributed to this? Uh, well, there are some wide uh, cultural changes here. One is in terms of the whole idea of evidence. Uh, we've actually moved increasingly, and you listen to this on uh, talk radio where people don't express even so much that they think something, but that they feel something. Um, And so a politics that is based on feeling as opposed to evidence has some real implications. Um, And so I feel that crime is a problem in my backyard is very different from actually thinking it through and saying, well, I was watching the news last night, and I saw a lot of stories about crime, but by the way, that was happening 2,000 miles away. Um, So... It's, it's evidence versus your, your sense that something is going on out there. But a lot of kind of the, our culture has moved that way. A lot of kind of right-wing populism actually appeals to this. It's feeling. I feel that I'm being oppressed. I feel that I'm being overtaxed. I feel this, I feel this, I feel this. As opposed to let's think about what is the evidence. Is the feeling you have maybe legitimate, but let's test it against something and see how it actually holds up. Right? There is certainly a, uh, and to some extent, very deserved anti-elitism. Um, I'm not saying that experts should always be just listened to because they have credentials. A certain amount of skepticism is actually uh, really useful, and I think it is part of democratic accountability. Um, but at the same time, at some point you have to think, what is the basis? Does this person should I listen to this person, because they presumably actually do understand something about it? Um, Do we discount it too easily? Maybe sometimes we do. Uh, I think in the modern society, we all know a lot, but there's also a lot of things we don't know, right? And we should recognize what we don't know. When I go to see a dentist, I am quite happy to defer to the dentist and admit I know nothing about it. And I am willing to defer to certain experts, certain people who have shown that they actually understand what's going on there, whether it's about dentistry, climate change, or any number of other things. There is, as I said before, an innate tendency for people to like decisive leaders. This, unfortunately, is kind of primate behavior. There is also, I would say, computerization and modern data collection, uh, One of the things that, in terms of identifying your tribe, uh, the Conservative Party, better than any other party in Canada, actually knows who votes for it and who is highly unlikely to not. And so they can slice and dice the population. Uh, And they can tailor, then, policies towards that narrow group. That's aided by uh, modern data collection aspects. The electoral cycle, the never-ending campaign... It used to be we could actually set policy, politics aside for a while, but now every policy is gauged constantly as to does it harden the vote? How does it appeal to our particular group? And finally, the first-past-the-post electoral system. This is actually one of the most critical things here. Our electoral system actually uh, lends itself to people saying, I don't need 50 plus 1% of the vote all I really need is about 37 or 38%. If I can harden that vote, if I can make sure that my 37%, 38% of the vote that I have, my tribe, comes out, I can beat everybody else. So I don't need to even care about the rest. right? I don't need to represent 100% of Canadians or even 60% or 50%. I just need to represent my core vote. So what are some of the reasons the current... The Conservative Party, I think, has pursued policies that have become problematic and controversial and just, I think, plain bad. Ideology is part of it. Part of it is that the party also uh, still holds within it some elements of the old Reform Party belief that it's outsiders. Even after all this time in government, there's a perception, I think, that the other, uh, there's a whole bunch of enemies out there and they're going to get us. Uh, and so we have to discount them right away. Um, and it's this outsider mentality that has, I think, prevented it from actually reaching out beyond that. Raw politics, wedge issues, I've talked about hardening the vote. Institutional delegitimation. Why is it that the Supreme Court, Elections Canada, on and on and on uh, are are attacked so regularly? It's because in order to get your tribe really... uh, supporting your party you have to delegitimate any other kind of institution and so the allegiance comes to the party and the government and the leader and not to the other institutions. This is potentially quite dangerous it seems to me down the road. In this way the policies of the current government therefore can be seen though as actually quite rational. If you think in terms of our electoral system and wanting to maintain power as a rational end then sometimes bad policies are actually serve that purpose. The downside, and let me just conclude on this, is in the long run, this is actually dangerous for social and political fragmentation. And it's also dangerous for the party itself because over time, of course, your supporters will die off or just leave in other ways. And uh, your group, your tribe has shrunk, and now you no longer have the avenues to connect with other people. Thank you for your time, and I welcome your questions after we have a wonderful lunch here. Thank you.